Adventure Rider Radio only accepts advertisers that we believe in, companies that we can get behind and be proud to be associated with. And we're pleased to be associated with Max BMW, Best Rest Products, and Aerostitch. So make sure you tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home to the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road or off the road, for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump, that's the Best Rest Cycle Pump, runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a five-year warranty. Best Rest also makes tire changing and tire repair kits that are small enough to fit in your saddlebag. And the crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves. They know what you and I want when we're out exploring. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. This is Nick Sanders. I'm Jason Spafford. And I'm Lisa Morris. My name is Austin Vince. This is Rob Beach. I'm Rachel. This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coates. Hello, here's Herbert Schwartz. I'm Brett Tax. This is Zoe Cano. This is Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Rust. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. <laughs> this is Ted Simon. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. I've got Grant Johnson here, uh, fresh off the plane, I think, again. I mean, I, I swear, Grant, every time I talk to you, you're fresh off a plane. It feels like that to us, too, and we have been. We've done 32 flights this year from four continents, all long hauls. Wow. I, I hope you're collecting points or something for that. I wish we're getting enough points. The problem is we end up going to so many different places. We're on different airlines, and we've got a fair number of points with a whole lot of flights or airlines, but none of them actually are going to get us very far, which is really frustrating. Well, you have a new announcement that just went out about a new hum that's being held in British Columbia. Tell us about that. Ah, the hum, yes. We've been uh, working on this for a while now, and we've been doing it in Spain since, I think, 2005. We run half a dozen of them there, and we did Morocco uh, earlier this year, which was fantastic location for it. But we're now bringing it to Canada, to the Canadian Rockies, next, next year, July 22 to 24. Which is really neat because um, I was just speaking with Neville Stowe about the Rockies and of course, you know, he lives there. He's got all kinds of great things to say about it. Tell us a little bit about the Rockies. Uh, the Rockies are, in my opinion, and I've been to a fair number of places, some of the best riding in the world. Whether you're on road only or off road, it's absolutely stunning. You're getting altitude, you're getting mountains. Uh, it's it's spectacular everywhere you go. And some of the off road sections, uh, we've got some photos of of the actual course on the webpage, and it's it's absolutely stunning. And and it just seems to go on forever, doesn't it? I mean, there's just roads going everywhere. <laughs> yeah, everywhere and anywhere, and um, you could ride for for months there and not cover the same trail twice. So somebody coming for the HUM event, what do they expect? Well, it's a two-day off-road orienteering, geocaching kind of event uh, based at Panorama in the Rockies, which is near Invermere. And it's all about testing your map reading and navigation skills, finding some hidden little points in the middle of nowhere, and enjoying the fabulous riding. The trails, roads, everything. It's amazing. It's breathtaking. And uh, wait till you see the photos. It's absolutely spectacular. Can you go if you've never done this thing before, you know, if I, if I don't really have that great of map skills and I, I'm sort of green to the whole thing? Well, you're going to have a teammate, and the map is pretty clear, and we give you a book with fairly complete details. We've never had somebody say, well, we absolutely couldn't find anything anywhere. They were just absolutely hopeless. Some will take a little longer. You have to take a little more time to figure it out, and you're expected to take some time to work with the map and the book and figure out where it all is, and you'll find that it's not that hard. As long as you can have basic map reading skills and understand which way is north on a compass, um, you should be fine. And reasonable off-road skills, you don't have to have a lot. The points are all graded. Some of them are green, which means 
it's basically a dirt road and anybody can do it. Your, your family car can do it. So it's not difficult. And then there are some double blacks for the experts. So you can make a range of points. There's enough points that if you were a beginner, for instance, or I shouldn't say a beginner, you know, relatively inexperienced off-road, you'd be able to get to spend the full two days riding and not get to all the points. An expert is going to get to more points, but then they've got some tough points to get to as well. But you can still, even an average rider could do very well. So sort of like a treasure hunt. You're getting, you know, your, your map and your instructions. And you're going out and you're finding the treasures and you're coming back to see how much you can, you can find. Yep. And then at the end of the first day, the fun part is everybody's looking and seeing how many points everybody else has got and saying, hmm, well, where did they go? They went over there. Hmm, maybe I should, we need to get some more points over in that area. And the uh, points are roughly predicated on distance from the starting point and the difficulty. So it, it's a lot of it's just plain strategy. What is the route we're going to take to collect the most points, the easiest and quickest? And everybody seems to have a difference of opinion. I love going around in the, when we first hand out all the stuff and everybody's figuring out what their route is going to be. And everybody's got a different idea on what the best way to do it is. It's, it's really quite interesting. And you watch people heading off in seven different directions from the starting point. It's great. Well, that's when you know when it's set up well, because it has all these options. Oh, yeah. The, the most important thing to me is, and I, and I used to race off-road and cross-country and stuff, and the, the part that I hated was following somebody else's dust all day long. And the nice thing with Hum is you're not going to be following somebody else's dust because you're the only one going this particular route. I mean, you will run into other riders at checkpoints, and you'll end up following somebody on a trail for short distance. But mostly, you're on your own, heading in your direction and doing what you think is the way to go. So it's a fun trail ride, well, but well-marked, and you have a goal and something uh, and a place to go at the end of it. I mean, we've got a map class. Or there's two actual classes. There's map and a GPS class as well. So if you're not good with the maps, there's a GPS class. We'll give you GPS uh, waypoints, and you figure it out from there. And we also have, for the bikes, there's the single cylinder class and the multi-cylinder class, which of course takes in the BMW GSs and the Triumph Triples and stuff. So you're not going to be a guy on a 1200 GS competing with somebody on a 450 dirt bike. It's different, definitely different. So it's separated and, out. And, and this isn't really, I imagine it's not really highly competitive. You're not, you don't have professionals in here doing it. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Maybe somebody who used to be a pretty good rider, but mostly it's average guy. It's aimed at ordinary guy who wants to have some fun off-road and maybe do something a little more exciting than just go for another trail ride on the same old trail. We've uh, marked, put the points on some of the best terrain we can find, some of the most spectacular scenery. We deliberately put points at places that are going to take you to some absolutely amazing views. So it's, it's more of a fun thing. Uh, when we were running it in Spain, we had one team, in fact, the location where we were was near Andorra, which is a famous shopping center. And this team went for a ride, they got a few points, and then at the end of the day, they said, you know, the shopping in Andorra was really good and we had a great lunch. <laughs> okay, they're not very competitive, but they had a great day's riding and they got some good bargains. So there's a wide range. Well, well, that brings me to the next question. How do you choose the route? How do you how do you choose all these spots? Ah, uh, that takes a lot of riding. Don and Trent of Wanduro.com have been out riding the trails for us. They ride in the area all the time. They they're out there three, literally 365 days of the year, and they know the area really well. So they've picked some of their favorite spots for us and gone out and made sure we've got some excellent places to go to and some fantastic views. What sort of accommodations are there? Uh, we've got good accommodations. Um, Panorama in the Rockies is a ski resort, so the sort of things you would usually expect to get at a ski resort. Um, if you want to bring along your non-riding significant other and the kids, there's lots of stuff to do. Hiking, golfing, uh, ATV tours, whitewater rafting. They've even got yoga and kayaking and all the rest of it. Plus swimming pools, hot tubs, water slides for the kids and Oh, yeah. Susan wants me to mention that they have massages and a spa as well. well. That's always nice, too, especially after a hard day's ride. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we like to do these events where you can have a good day's ride and then get, have a shower, get cleaned up and have a nice meal at the end of the day. If you want to camp, you can camp as well. We've organized camping there. But, of course, 
the hotel is the way to go, and the prices are quite reasonable. So I think it'll be good fun. What, what goes on in the evening? By the time you're finished the day's riding and had dinner and sit around talking to everybody else and done some planning for the next day, that's going to be about it. <laughs> it's mostly about figuring out what are we going to do tomorrow and wasn't that amazing today and people sharing pictures and some videos of what they've shot during the day. A lot of people ride with GoPros, of course. So we have a look at some of the videos that people have got. What's the date, cost, and how do people sign up? Uh, okay, horizonsunlimited.com slash hum, H-U-M-M. We have early bird pricing, so that makes it a little bit easier. The prices are going till the end of December, so you want to get in there early. Don't waste time to get in there. And I think the first price is two eighty nine Canadian, which is a bargain these days and for the Americans that are listening. Mm-hmm. And just go to the webpage, sign up, and get yourself together with another team, another rider. If you haven't got somebody else and you just want to ride yourself, but you need a teammate, we have a way we can put a team together to make a team, and we've matched up the winners in the past, so not a problem if you're on your own. Well, Grant, that's great. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully people will rush out there and, and sign up before the end of December. You might not even get a spot if you wait too long, so I would highly recommend yep. that. There, there are limitations. The maximum number of riders will be 150, so get in there quick. We've had amazing response already. We've been just blown away by the response certainly sounds like an amazing event in an incredible location as Grant had already said here the Rocky Mountains the whole area there is amazing so you might want to if you're going to come to this you might want to plan some extra time and explore the entire area but the other huge advantage right now if you're coming to Canada is the exchange rate so you're, you're going to come here and you're going to save a small fortune really on the exchange rate at least as it stands today and you've got to check that and see where it where it is when you're planning your trip but right now it's a it's a huge advantage so definitely a vacation you may want to check out coming to Canada for 2016 and for more information about the event drop by the website www.horizonsunlimited.com forward slash hum h-u-m-m I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't know enough about it. I need to do more research. Manana, manana. And I'm sure we can all relate to maybe one or maybe even all of these from time to time that stop us from doing things. But it doesn't mean you should just jump into things, you know, without doing your due diligence. But what is due diligence? And how much is enough? Have you had something that you really wanted to do or you thought it'd be cool to do, but you know, there's a reason, quote unquote, that you couldn't do it? Well, Mallory Page didn't grow up with motorcycles in her life. She didn't know anybody who rode a motorcycle, except for some friends that she met while she's on a trip. She didn't have a license, didn't know anything about bikes, didn't know anything about moto travel. She didn't have enough money. She had a dog that doesn't fit on a motorcycle. So all these add up to a whole bunch of reasons why she should not be doing what she's doing. My name is Mallory Page. Uh, I am previously to this trip. I'm from Bend, Oregon. And uh, right now I'm on an adventure called Operation Moto Dog, traveling all of North America with my dog Baylor in the uh, motorcycle sidecar with me. So this is clearly why we're interested in your story right now. I mean, you're you're traveling around. You've got a, a dog in a sidecar yeah. um, with, with a KLR 650. <laughs> and, and I want to get to that too because I'm I'm intrigued by the by the whole thing. But but first of all, I want to back up and see. You know, before the motorcycle thing, what were you doing before the motorcycle? Before you decided to do that? Um, so I was living in Bend, Oregon. Um, I was doing some. Uh, uh, writing and also working as an agent and kind of a promotion specialist for an adventure race team there in, in Oregon. And what makes you get up in the morning and all of a sudden say, first of all, because I, I know you weren't a rider before this, so what makes you get up in the morning and all of a sudden say, today I'm going to learn to ride a motorcycle and then I'm going to get my dog and throw in a sidecar and ride around the country? <laughs> exactly. Um, well, exactly a year ago, I was in, actually in Ecuador um, for the Adventure Racing uh, World Championship. And so at that time, I met, you know, some strangers that I made my friends and asked if I could ride around on the back of their bikes while they rode around Ecuador. 
and and they were you know dual sport bikes so we were going off on all these dirt roads and seeing just amazing things that I never would have seen otherwise and pretty much like the first time I rode it I was like this is amazing I didn't even know I didn't know people rode bikes like this you know or that that adventure riding existed um and I told them there I said ah man I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna put a sidecar on I'm going to go somewhere with my dog because I knew I love Baylor and I wasn't going to, you know, leave him behind for an adventure. And uh, that's pretty much what I did. As soon as I got back to Bend, I just kind of started, you know, trying to read a little bit more and learn a little bit more about bikes and, you know, spent so many hours just looking through ads and searching the Internet because it's hard to find a, a sidecar in general for sale. So, uh just went after it. So you're not a rider. You're riding on somebody else's bike. And all of a sudden yep. you say, I'm going to get a sidecar and, and throw my dog in this. Where, where did like where the sidecar thing come into this? Uh, well, because Baylor's pretty big. So I spent a lot of time trying to imagine if, you know, I've seen a few dogs that ride on the back or the tank or something like that. Um, but he's about 70 pounds. And so I pretty quickly realized that that would be impossible. Um, and the sidecar would be much more comfortable for him. Right. So just so the listener knows what Baylor is, tell us about Baylor. Oh yeah. Baylor is a, uh, yellow Labrador retriever. He's been my sidekick for about 10 years now and he's has great personality and everyone, you know, is a big fan of him and the sidecar and he has (laughs) pretty much every time we stop for gas or stop anywhere, you know, he has a crowd of people around wanting to get a photo of him looking happy in that sidecar so he's pretty great so he's an ugly dog is what you're saying <laughs> yeah exactly because you he's said he had you said he had a great photogenic no you and, said he had a great personality isn't that like sort of code that everybody says that's, that's totally true luckily in his case he somehow won the you know genetic lotto and he is equally beautiful inside and out so and he's, he, I swear he knows, like he just understands what it's about because he poses and, and we take a lot of the photos just, you know, I usually just do like a timer and most often than not, he knows to just pose and look right at the camera, which is crazy. So he's a bit of a ham. <laughs> totally. Okay. So, so you come up with this idea and, and your first step is you got to get a motorcycle license. So how did you go about that? Um, so that happened in May. I just took, you know, I looked up in Oregon what you needed to do, and you take a a weekend course and then get your motorcycle license. So I did that, and uh, that was, like, my first time driving a motorcycle, you know, was learning at that course. Uh, and then I, then I was ready for the next step, I guess. Then it was probably about a month after that that I left for Alaska. Now, Mallory, when you say May, what year are we talking about? Uh, May of just this last year. So 2015. Yep, exactly. And this is only December of 2015. This yeah. is a really short <laughs> time period. So we went from May to getting your license, and then you've got to find a bike. What what made you choose the KLR 650? Uh, well, I knew I wanted a dual sport because that was what I enjoyed so much in Ecuador. Um, and then I thought, since I don't have any mechanical or I didn't, you know, have any mechanical knowledge at all, uh, that in my head, like, single cylinder was less complicated. So I was like, okay, if I just have one one of those to understand, um, maybe that would be good. And so then it sort of, you know, came down to, like, a either a DR650 or a KLR650. And then it, it just came available on Craigslist, uh, the KLR I bought that was in the right place and... It was older. It's a 98, so it was cheaper, which was good because it had a small budget. So I said, that's the one. And a KLR is, is not really um, an easy bike to ride because it's a pretty big bike. You fill out the tank. That, that's a lot of weight. Didn't you find this rather cumbersome as a new rider? Um, yeah, but I only really uh, rode it without the sidecar just once just to get it to the shop so I could start building and putting the sidecar on it um but it was definitely you know i could barely tippy toe to touch the ground at all when i came to a stop so it was it was pretty intimidating (laughs) 
I find it pretty interesting because you, you were saying, I mean, this just your your whole story with this coming up with all of a sudden, wow, I'm going to go do this, and then you run off and do it. But but most people would have, I think, at that point, went out and bought themselves a sidecar, maybe took it to a shop and had it installed. But you didn't exactly do that, did you? No, no, I didn't do that at all. I, I actually, I found the sidecar first. I found it used um, in Washington, which was close enough to go drive and pick up, and uh, then I found the bike, and then I spent a day where I just stared at them side by side wondering how I was ever going to make this work. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the, the experts I talked to, you know, if they, if they had a kit or something to sell, then it was just going to take really long or it was going to be really expensive and it just wasn't going to work with sort of my, uh, immediacy and small budget. So, I found a, a DIY space that, you know, went and took a welding class and just researched on the internet kind of ideas of how other people had made subframes and things like that and built a, a subframe to connect it. So you make yourself into a rider and then a welder and then you put yep. your bike together and, and you sort of feel like you're ready to go at that point. Uh, yeah, I mean, as ready as I was going to be. I, like the day I left, I think I, I ran around and I upholstered the seat and I finished upholstering Baylor's seat and I uh wired the sidecar <laughs> and added like a charger you know wired in a charger for my phone and I was like well this is as ready as I'll ever be so let's hit the road did this this whole adventure as you're doing this coming up to this point did it seem kind of crazy to you or, or is this another one of a list of things that you've done um it seemed, it seemed like, it seemed crazy when I stepped back and thought about it. When I was in it, it just seemed like I got to get this done. <laughs> this, you know, next step. Okay, next step. What's, what's going on? I've had some, you know, just done some like traveling solo and road tripped in an old, uh, you know, VW van with Baylor a couple years ago. And so I did some of that, but I'm more of sort of a homebody and a, you know, not too adventurous person, perhaps. But that was kind of the point. Like, I had this idea. I wanted to be an adventurer, and I wanted to know mechanical skills, you know, and be able to camp and things like that. So I figured if I did this, I'd pretty much have no choice. It was going to happen. What do your friends and family say as you're planning this out? Uh, they were really supportive. Like, they were supportive. You know, they don't. none of them have any motorcycle or, like, mechanical skills so they were supportive in that way like yeah we love it we totally believe in you we don't know how to help you know like <laughs> you're gonna you're kind of on your own on the the details of it but we're excited for you so so i'm really lucky i have great friends and family so you you didn't have anyone to turn to then there's there's no riders in your family anyone who has a, nope. a motorcycle with a sidecar is going to set you up or help you out no exactly no i didn't even know anybody uh the only people I knew that, you know, rode motorcycles were the people I'd met in Ecuador. Other than that, I really didn't even know anyone at all who rode a motorcycle. So. You, you've got your sidecar on your motorcycle now. How do you know everything's safe? How do you know everything's ready to go? Did you take it to somebody to have them check it? No, I just took it on some test rides and I read what I could and I, you know, felt it out and just just went with it. So then what comes next? You you load up with all your camping gear? Yep, yeah, we loaded up and uh we started driving north towards Alaska. That was the the first goal was make it to Alaska. Okay, so before you left though, you you must have came up with a little bit of a of a, an overall trip plan because um you describe yourself on your on your webpage as a storyteller and adventurer. And and I mm -hmm. have to throw in here that your middle name is Danger. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, the great part is I actually changed it to Danger because my friends and I um were joking that Danger we should change our middle names to Danger because we like to go pack rafting or um Highlining, which is kind of like tightrope walking over a canyon, things like that. And uh, we were like, oh, wouldn't it be great if our middle names were Danger? You know, then anytime we did something crazy, we'd be like, oh, it's no big deal. Danger is my middle name. Right. And once you give yourself a name like that, you've got to live up to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
What was the idea that you came up with that you were going to sort of prove with this trip? Um, I just wanted to prove to people that you don't have to be uh, fearless or an expert or perfect to go out there and live your dreams. You know, because a lot of times people think that you have to have, you know, the fanciest equipment or you have to know everything. You have to have years and years and years of experience to do anything. And I just don't think that's the case. Where does that come from? That that had to be sort of a thought process for you before you even got into this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's just been proven of like, I like to learn. And so I do lots of things where, you know, by all accounts, I don't have any reason that I should be able to do them. But I found that if you go out there and you just are determined and you keep a positive attitude and you're willing to find people, you know, I call it a can-do community, the type of people that'll build you up and help you reach your dreams, then it's totally achievable. Anything is. And when I spoke with Ted Simon, um, the motorcyclist, Ted Simon, he said that, um, that if you, uh, you that to really to be good at something, you really need to not know exactly what you're doing. And if you really know what you're doing, you should be in the next position up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think you should always just be seeking that, you know, somewhat discomfort of, of growing and learning. Well, you mentioned there at the start there that you were working um, with adventure racing. What was that about? And, and, and is that partly what sort of gets you on the road? Um, I think, I mean, that group of friends, the adventure racers, definitely inspired and taught me a lot uh, before I even took off, you know, because they, adventure racing, you could have to run, mountain bike, trek, and they don't have a, you know, set route. They get a map and compass, and they just race for days on end. So they're, very impressive people, uh, mentally and physically. And so I was lucky enough to, you know, be working with them and traveling with them. And I didn't race. I, I did media and support and marketing and things like that, but they definitely helped, uh, just sort of show me, you know, like every time we do things, I'd be like, Oh wow, I didn't know that was possible, but it is. Okay. So I think anytime you get that cascade of opening your eyes, it's, it's really powerful. And that's sort of what you're saying, you know, through saying you don't need to be fearless, uh, you know, or know everything to live your dreams. That's sort of what you're saying. It's, it's a mindset, isn't it? That absolutely is. Yeah. It's completely a mindset. You just have to be willing to be like, okay, there is fear, but I'm going to choose to do this anyways, you know, and I'm going to stay positive and, uh, and just go after it. So, Mallory, honestly, those first few days, what was that like when you get on the road and you realize that you're you're alone, basically? I know you have I have you have your dog, Baylor, with you, but you're alone and you're on this big journey and maybe you don't quite know just enough. Oh, yeah, it was, it was just exhausting. I mean, it was exhausting just to ride every day because the first day I think I rode less than 100 miles. And that was the furthest I'd ever driven, you know, a motorcycle <laughs> at all. And so I was definitely, you know, physically tired and mentally and just like, you know, that I, and I, I didn't know a ton about camping. So then every night, you know, I'm setting up camp in different places and the whole thing. So every day was just filled with basically all new experiences which was a little overwhelming. But the good thing was, since I was committed to like a goal of get to Alaska, there, there was no turning back, you know, I was like, well, just keep figuring it out. It'll get better, I guess. Is that because you told everyone that's, that's what you're doing? Or is it just because that's what you set your mind to? It's just because that's what I set my mind to. That was my, you know, commitment in my head. That was what I wanted to do. So and you're planning to camp the, the whole way. I mean, that's sort of what you've been doing, mm-hmm. camping most of the way. Um, yep. What makes you plan on camping when you don't know anything about camping? Because um, I wanted to know something about camping. <laughs> you know, I I wanted to be the type of person that could go out and set up a camp and, you know, figure out all sorts of outdoor wild adventures. So I figured you know, experience for me has been the best way to learn things. So what were the big lessons in the, in the first few days of the trip? Oh, the first few days. Um, even in just those first few days, I saw how like generous and helpful people were, you know, on the road, just like coming over and saying a kind word or like 
if they'd see me with the map out, then they'd come over and it was fun to just see how it built community right away, you know, because someone come over and see a map and then they tell you about an adventure they've been on or point out a new road that maybe you should go on. And, and I, having that motorcycle before, I especially didn't know how uh, strong the motorcycle community is, you know, so that just like every time you stop for fuel, there's, if there's a motorcyclist there, then you end up chatting and I, I hadn't expected that at all. Well, and you'd look like you're on an adventure, too, with a sidecar and the dog. There's no mistaking it, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that in itself has to attract people and, and wonder what you're doing. I mean, and you're by yourself riding with a sidecar and the dog, and, and people are probably very curious about, you know, what's the deal? Absolutely. So where, where did you get to? So you, you, you started off, you got 100 miles. Um, certainly you, you've picked up since then. Tell us about that, that first little stretch that you did and as well as how you're finding camping space. Yeah, so on the way up to Alaska, it was pretty, like through Oregon and Washington, I knew some camp spots because I had just, you know, lived and road tripped around the Pacific Northwest enough to be a little bit familiar with that area. Um, once I got up to like British Columbia and the Yukon, that was all completely new. So I would just do a mix of either like a little bit of internet research or sometimes I would just stop, you know, at a, a gas station or a cafe or something like that and just chat with the locals and ask them, you know, if they had any idea about camping in the area or where I should look. And, and a lot of, you know, uh, in the Yukon and that area, it's just so spread out and huge that, you can find open spaces all over the place. So we'll just do that. And, and for a route, are you mainly sticking to the, the highways or, or how are you choosing places to stop? Um, yeah, I do highways a lot. And then I also uh, sort of follow people's tips, you know, that like if, if I'm planning a certain route, but then someone who knows the area who's been there before and is like, oh, but this this little stop is beautiful or this road is really nice, then I'll usually just be like, okay, great. I'll do that instead. You know, I, I, uh, I don't plan super far ahead or get really like set on my route. Cause I found that you get all these great, uh, unexpected tips along the way. And I want to be able to follow those. I know you mentioned that you're, you're doing it on a tight budget. Are you making money on the road or did you save up to go? No, I make money on the road. I, um, freelance write for, uh, various things. And then I also, uh, every now and then we'll do a, a website. Um, and then as it, as it has grown, uh, people are excited to support Operation Motodog and support the ability of me to provide them with stories. And, you know, like I've had a lot of good feedback that people feel like they're being taken along on the adventure and that that means something to them, you know? So you're posting on a blog on a on a fairly regular basis, and then you're getting some donations through that. Precisely, yeah. Well, that's it's really nice. So that can that means if you keep going, you can literally just keep going. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And I and you know I keep costs really low, which I think is a big thing people overlook. That that's the smartest, easiest first step to do is be cheap and to not have I don't have any a house or things or expenses anywhere else except for what I'm doing so and your your route up when was a or, or was there a point where you came to some sort of obstacle some sort of problem where you thought I might be in over my head definitely um in the uh Yukon that was probably the biggest obstacle that really changed the whole thing but I was maybe 30 miles from you know just a, a gas station in any direction. I was just in the middle of nowhere. And the uh, bike started to stutter. So I just pulled over right away because I, I didn't know what was happening, but it wasn't good. And I knew I had fuel, so I was confused. And uh, I get out, and I'm just trying to dig for my little climber's manual because I don't know what else to do but read ideas in there. And I see oil on the ground. I look down, and the drain plug, the oil drain plug is just gone. Like, it's just completely missing. And I just kind of stand there in shock for a while because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know a lot about engines, but I know this is pretty much a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so that point, I, I really thought it was probably just over. Like I didn't know what I was going to do. 
Um, but I started to load Baylor up because I thought, well, I guess we're just going to, you know, grab my backpack and we're just going to hike for 30 miles or something. You know, I don't know what else to do. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and two men pull up on motorcycles and they're KLRs, but I was like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, there's nothing you can do, you know, to help me and a dog in this situation. And, and I tell them what happened and the man says, oh, well, I've got a spare one. And he reaches literally in his front little pouch <laughs> and pulls out a spare drain plug and the washer. Uh, and I, I just stood there in shock. I could not believe this was happening. And so they had oil. They had the spare drain plug. They poured it in, and I was able to drive off and not be stranded there in the middle of nowhere, Yukon. That is just bizarre. Now, I mean, to think that somebody's going to come along with an oil drain plug, and it's not like KLRs are known for losing their drain plugs. I mean, I've got Precisely, to ask, yeah. well, you, you'd, I think you wrote in your blog there that you'd check the oil not long before that, but that's, that's the top, that's the filler plug. How on earth did you lose your drain plug? I have no idea. It was, I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And just the odds that someone would come along in that exact right spot, the right time with that thing. I mean, it was just, it, I can't even fully comprehend still how unlikely and amazing that was. Well, and can you imagine him as well as he's riding along with this drain plug in his pocket, knowing right. full well he's never going to use this. He's he's not going to ever need this drain plug. It's stupid. It's one of those things that you just do. You know, you think, oh well, just in case, and then exactly. come across somebody who just happens to need a drain plug. But but it's pretty amazing too because when your engine's sputtering, what you're doing is you're seizing your engine up uh, with the KLR, right. and then you fire yeah. it up. Yeah, so it worked. Um, it did. It was burning oil heavily after that, um, and making noises. And you know, at the time, that felt really stressful. But looking back, that was such an opportunity because it really changed everything. Because I was able to get on uh, forums and like connect with all these people <clears throat> and really build community. Because I, you know, I just not knowing that I didn't know what different noises meant or if it was really serious or if I could keep going or like I had no, no information. Um, and people just came together from everywhere. And so, you know, they set us up with a spot to work on the bike and taught me how to do it. And it was amazing. It really did change everything. What did you end up doing? Uh, we did the, the 685 big bore piston swap because it was all chewed up. What so. year What year KLR is it? It's a 1998. Uh, 98, right. So the, the old style. And um, yep. so, so you put a new cylinder on it with a piston and everything and yep. away you go. Everything was fine. Yep. Knock on wood. It hasn't, hasn't burned or leaked or done anything since then. It's been just humming right along. Did you notice any difference with the the performance of the KLR when you did that? Yeah, it's great. It's been amazing. It made a big difference. It's got more power. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what a lot of people said, like, oh, well, that's great to do anyways, just with pulling the sidecar, you know. That was probably a good move no matter what. It's pretty adventurous to even do that. So I mean, now you've you've got this this engine thing problem, and you didn't worry, you didn't think about getting it done, didn't think about having somebody do it for you. You decided, you know, you're just going to do this yourself. Yeah. Well, again, part of it was being frugal, and part of it was like the whole point was I wanted to learn it. I didn't want to take it somewhere and then get it back and still have no idea what that meant, you know. And so, the fact that that I could work with someone in Anchorage who's known as like a KLR guru and is also an excellent teacher it was just pretty much the perfect opportunity for me. I couldn't have dreamed up something better. So, you know, so they would show me how to use tools and what to do and could really get in there and do it all. It's pretty amazing. You've mentioned it a couple of times, the word community. It's, it's pretty amazing, the this motorcycle community, that when somebody does have a problem and, and sort of reaches out for help, the response you get. Oh, it's, yeah, it is just one of the most inspiring things I've ever experienced. It's unbelievable. The issue that you had with your motorcycle with losing the drain plug, that was on the way back from Alaska. So clearly you made it to Alaska and you're headed back down. 
Well, that was the way up to Alaska. Oh, I'm sorry. It was I, on the way I up. Did, I, yeah, I did make it to Alaska. And then we did that in Anchorage in Alaska, did the piston swap. Um, and then I was ready to head back down, head south. And do you have any other uh, memorable uh, events while you were doing this? Oh, um, everything. It was just, it was really neat. Again, you know, the people and connecting with them and then the opportunities of, that they would do to sort of bring us into their homes. And, you know, I love that I get to sort of join families for a day or a couple of days or whatever and just, you know, gone to different family events or gone up in an airplane and seen a glacier or like all these opportunities to learn and to connect with people that if I was road tripping, if I was just doing like adventures in a different way or I wasn't putting myself out there, I don't think I would have those same exact experiences. Yeah. And part of it's budget too. I mean, you think if you had lots of money and you were going and paying for, you know, little tours, it'd be a different experience, wouldn't it? Absolutely. It'd be completely different. How are you meeting people? Um, it's amazing. The, you know, online community has been really great. And, uh, I'm on that, uh, ADV writer, uh, forum and that has been really big. Uh, you know, and then from there just sort of billows out of people's connect you to their connections. And so it just becomes this big web. And then as, as my website, Operation Moto Dog has grown and a lot of people just find it there and they, they contact me and, you know, tell me what spot they're in and where their cousin is and, you know, that they have a dog that Baylor would love to play with and a yard and all these things. So it's, it's really cool. And then you just follow those up, you'll drop by and, and, and meet somebody. And then new. I just, exactly. Because, you know, that's the challenge. Um, normally I'd probably be a little more, and I think if the drain plug thing hadn't happened, I would have continued being just like, like I'm friendly and I like people, but I always was afraid that accepting those offers sort of made you a burden, you know, that it's like people would offer and I'd be like, oh, that's so nice. No, it's fine. I don't need, you know, I don't want to bother you. So I don't want to stay at your place or eat that meal or I don't know, whatever things people would offer. And uh, with these experiences, I realized it's actually a gift, like, we like as humans to connect with people and to have community. And so just as sometimes, you know, I'm the one giving those things, it's also a gift to receive them like graciously and genuinely and to connect with people. So, so I make it a challenge to myself, even when I feel like being a hermit to, uh, say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'll take you up on that offer. I'll, I'll be there. I'll stay there and connect and, and really, take full advantage of this opportunity. I'm so glad you said that because I think um, listening to this story, people would automatically figure that, oh, you're, you're a really outgoing person. You must be those that type of person that runs up to people and say, hi, I'm Mallory. <laughs> you know, what's your name? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's really nice to know that that's not the case. And and what you're mentioning about, you know, accepting something is, is isn't it also that you're you're actually giving something when you accept something? Because people want to give. We all want to give. And, and, and so you want to help out, a, you know, a traveler, maybe a fellow traveler, maybe just somebody who comes through your area and you want to help them out and you want to show them something, you're actually getting something for that. You're getting the pleasure of doing that. So so in essence, you receiving, you're actually giving at the same time. Yeah, that's so true. And, and I think that's so important. Like, you know, you're mentioning that, that that if it wasn't for the drain plug, you may still be, you know, sort of somewhat closed off from everyone. It's it's really important to try and push that envelope and get out. And that's why I asked about, you know, how so you're I've meeting met people. people. Just a few days ago, you know, I met somebody at a cafe and then they said, oh, well, you know, we're in this town over here, my wife and I would love to host you. And so I said, okay, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> I'll follow up on that. You know, so even even people that I just meet now who are excited about the adventure, um, and they, they show you things and teach you things, you know, that you just wouldn't get to experience otherwise. Yeah, it's one thing going through an area, isn't it? But it's another when you actually get somebody who's local there who can who can show you those intimate things and you're, you're, they're good with your dog, too. Exactly, yeah. And it's really great, you know, because the way we're traveling, there is no, like, mistaking that Baylor and I are a package deal. <laughs> and so if, 
if you're inviting me over, Baylor is clearly coming. Right. And honestly, people love him, and for the most part, they're probably excited to to invite Baylor. And then I just happen to be the driver that you know needs to get him there. So. Well, I've seen photographs of him. He's he's not exactly an intimidating dog. He certainly exactly, looks like exactly. Yeah, he looks like he's smiling. Most yeah, of the time. you're happy dog. You know, I'm just it's just great to be here. Your typical lab, I guess. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you said your your initial goal was Alaska, so you did that. That's a that's a huge accomplishment. Was there some sort of big celebration at that point? No, it was almost like I mean, I was really happy, and it was fun to experience, and then it was almost like it just made me realize like wow, just to Alaska is not going to be enough. Like, this is so amazing, and I have so much more to learn um, that I need to expand it. So your your initial plan was to go to Alaska and then back home? Yeah, that was all. I was just like, I'll go to Alaska and back. And really, I thought maybe I'd just be, like, so exhausted with the whole motorcycle thing and all the, you know, needing to learn new things that I would be happy to just be done. But... um I think, again, what made it different is having people that actually teach you things. You know, it's, it can get exhausting to try to learn things by just reading and, you know, especially mechanical things and all that. Uh, so once I had people that would teach me, I was like, oh, okay, like I can onboard these things a lot faster than I had originally thought. And, uh, and just with the community that came out when I, you know, had all the engine problems. And I was like, this is great. I'm not not ready to stop. So... I'm just going to keep on going. And what was the plan then? So you're, you're going to head back down from Alaska, but then go where? Yeah, so I went back to Bend um, just to wrap up a few things since I originally didn't think I was going to be completely done um, in Bend. And so then I uh, I generally sort of pick out just like a few certain anchoring spots or like times that I need to be somewhere and then let the rest sort of free flow in between. So I knew that I wanted to get out to Asheville, North Carolina for the Overland Expo. And so that was my, my mission. So I went through Colorado because my family's all in Colorado and they wanted to see the whole sidecar adventure in person. Um, and, and I had to go visit my grandpa cause he's been like our number one fan from the get go. So I had to go. CG bub, I make sure that I try to send him a postcard about every week so that he can follow along and keep track of us on a map and all that. Um, and yeah, so then I made it to Asheville and started exploring kind of the, the South from there. What's it like taking the dog across the border? Um, it was really simple in Canada, actually. They, uh, you know, you're supposed to have their rabies vaccination paperwork and different paperwork and I had all that ready just in case uh, we needed it for anything. But mostly they were just really excited and, you know, wanted to hear the story of why this dog and goggles was <laughs> going back and forth across borders. So, but um, I'm not sure exactly how it'll be in Mexico. That'll be a new experience when we get to that. So, so we'll see. But was it like going back into the States? Did they ask any questions about it there? Um, nope. That was real simple too. They were uh, just, you know, it was just a pretty much a normal, quick, easy crossing. Nothing out of the ordinary, so that was great. And what is the plan now? Where are you headed? Um, I'm making my way towards, um, I'm going to head towards the, the Keys, the Florida Keys. Go go be warm and meet some people along the way in Florida, you know, that have invited us to come visit. And then uh, from there, I'm thinking I'll probably go, you know, down the west side of Florida and then back up the east side and then kind of stay south and travel west along through the Gulf states and and Texas and that and basically checking off states that are warmer and waiting for, for winter to pass to make my way back north. So then when winter passes, the summer comes, will you mm -hmm. head farther north again? Yep, that's the idea. So I need to, you know, I've only been to two Canadian provinces. So I need to get busy up there, and then there's so much still of the U.S. to see. Um, but I'm not too worried on the time frame since this is just kind of normal life now. And, you know, my goal isn't to just, like, blow through borders and and cross things off. It's, like, the experience of connecting with communities and and just seeing what there is to experience in different places. 
How far are you going a day now? Um, it probably is only averaging, you know, maybe 150 or 200 miles. Although it's been a little slower these last few days because I spent, um, you know, the holiday Thanksgiving here in Auburn, Alabama, and a few days here. So haven't been making any real distance. And how long do you think you're going to stay on the road with the dog? Um, I would imagine at least another 18 months. 18 months. Wow. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think so, to, uh, to get this all done. You're saying you, you got to go through all the provinces and you, there's different places in the states you want to visit. Are you talking about just driving through the province, sort of checking it off your list? Or are you going to explore each province? No, I hope to explore each one. You know, I don't have an exact um, requirement of like, you know, a certain amount of miles or days or experiences or something like that in each place to make it count. Uh, it's just more that the whole point of this is the experience. So I don't want to just drive through and get borders as fast as possible. I want to go in and explore and meet people. I like the sound of what you're doing because you're not worrying about anything. You know, you're traveling strictly by the sounds of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're traveling strictly for the experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I don't care any about, you know, being the first or getting any sort of award for any of that. It's just the experience and just the way that it uh, allows me to learn and connect with people. And then hopefully from what I'm hearing from other people, you know, allows our adventure to kind of inspire them to to get out there and go for it. And it's been really neat because I didn't expect such a positive response just from everybody in general. And then even, you know, that women, so many women I meet of all different ages are really inspired to see somebody just out there, a solo female with her dog going on a big adventure, even though it's not, you know, I didn't grow up knowing about motorcycles or have any sort of like skill like that, that should make me well suited to it. I saw something on your blog about, um, it looked like you were taking off road course with, uh, with trials bikes. Yeah, that was so fun. I was able to do that just a couple weeks ago and that was at the Tennessee trials training center, um, outside of Chattanooga. And, uh, I had never even, honestly seen trials <laughs> and when I got there I had to watch a video because I didn't quite know what I was getting into um and it was their first all women's training weekend there and it was amazing those trial have you been on one of those trial bikes no I haven't I, I'm fascinated oh, by them because when you see the videos so unbelievable what they're doing yeah yeah the videos are just shocking the way they can just climb a rock face on those things you know it's unbelievable um, so that was a great training. And I would recommend that for people, like, even if your goal isn't to ride trials bikes, it teaches so much just about balance and riding and kind of fine tuning things, you know, that whatever type of riding you do, I think that would be a great training for people. What made you get onto this course? So you, you said you didn't even know anything about trials bikes. Um, so actually the two folks that I met in Ecuador a year ago happened to live in Asheville, North Carolina, which makes me laugh that. You know, you go to Ecuador to meet, make friends in Carolina. But, um, and they knew about trials and uh, had told me about them. were like, oh, it's so cool. And I bet you'd be great at it because, you know, you like balance challenges. You know, I like to slack line and do other sort of balance sports. So they told me about it and I saw it was, you know, I was like, oh, that's not too far. I could totally make it over to Chattanooga area. Easy. So I put that in as kind of, you know. After the Overland Expo, then it was like, okay, that's my other marker of a thing to do, a place to go. And you just signed up and away you go. I just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just in my typical fashion, I guess. Of, I'll just, you know, I, I try to do the sign up when you're excited. And then before, usually like right before it comes, I have a total panic fear moment of like, what was I thinking? I don't know anything about this thing. <laughs> like, but I just say, well, you're already committed, so... You signed up when you were excited. Don't let fear talk you out of it now. See, I, I like this because, again, you can hear this. You know, you're not this this incredibly outgoing person. It's obviously you're outgoing, but, but you know, you're not over the top. And, and it's it's really great because this is a lesson, isn't it? We, we have to push ourselves. you got to push that envelope. And, and when yeah. you're uncomfortable, that's when you're going to learn something. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times we think discomfort means like, oh, turn around, don't do it. Or that you just think, oh, well, I bet the people who are doing it don't feel this way. 
And for the most part, it's like, well, the people that are doing it probably all feel that way at some point. You know, they feel terrified and certain they'll fail and wishing they could just, you know, go home and lay on the bed and not be in discomfort. But you don't learn as much that way. So better to just get out there and give it a go. And then you really realize, like, it's not as scary as you thought. It all goes great. It's a good, you know, uh, positive feedback loop to get you to keep doing those things. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's the the problem. Is what you're describing is that is that people are are fearful of being uncomfortable. Yet, and and like you said, they think that everybody else is comfortable. When, when in fact, those people who do all those things are people like you who just push themselves. Just just get to the edge there and push themselves and say, "Okay, I'm committed. I'm diving, and here I go." Yeah, exactly. It's so true. You'd mentioned a couple times about talking to ADV Rider, meeting people through ADV Rider. What, what did you do? Did you start a thread on there? I did. I just started a ride report. And again, the um, friends I made in Ecuador, then they, they told me about ADV Rider when I was like, oh, I want to get a sidecar and do all this stuff. And they're like, well, you should probably look at this site. <laughs> would help you. And uh, yeah, so I just started a ride report there. And, and then it, you know, Again, not knowing the community, I had no expectation that it would that anybody would read it or that anybody would participate or build a community at all. You know, I didn't really think that would happen, but it did. Um, and it just kept growing, and so it was amazing. Yeah, the community that, that got built there is just so inspiring. Well, even before you left and as well when you had your problem with your bike and probably many other times in between, you've, you've had to do research on certain things. Where, where have you done your research? Is it, has it been all on ADV Rider? Um, some of that, some of just general Googling, you know, just seeing, seeing what I can find. Um, I haven't done, you know, I know there are people that do really extensive research of exactly what they should pack and what route they should take and, you know the lightest this and the fanciest that and whatever and that's just not my my style I pretty much just go like well this is what I have and this is what I can work with so that's that's that (laughs) you know I'm not gonna worry too much about needing anything fancier I'm sure I can make do so do you think that that over planning is a problem or you just can't be bothered to do it um I think I mean I think there are a hundred and one different ways for people to do things and be successful and enjoy them. So I certainly don't say that my way is the way, you know, everyone should do things. I just know that for me to actually do it, to not just get stuck planning for years and then, you know, not have it ever end up happening that I need it to just be like, those things are not barriers. You know, I, I can make do. So don't let those things be things that stop you. So for planning for you, do you, you need a, a basic concept, just a, an idea, and that's that's enough to do it? Um, yeah, usually. I just, I figure, I figure, and a lot of people I think think they need to have all these answers before they go, and really a lot of it just comes along the way. You know, you can learn so much while you're in it, and, and nothing is final. You know, you can make lots of small adjustments the whole way. How do you define adventure? Oh, how do I define adventure? Um, I think adventure is anything that sort of allows you to push your personal envelope of the comfort zone and, uh, you know, find those moments for, for growth and new opportunity. And so, you know, people do not need to put their dog in a sidecar and drive around the continent to have an adventure. They just need to find some way to to grow and sort of get out of their comfort zone. And that, that can be an adventure just in their own hometown, in their backyard, you know. What is it about your trip that makes it an adventure for you? Is it the dog? Is it the bike, the sidecar? What is it? Um, for me, it's really... It's really the um, the people and the like pushing myself to just keep keep connecting and being really open. Because the bailer, the dog part, he's like comfort, security blanket, best friend. So he's he's just like awesome sidekick to have along. 
Um, but the, the part that really makes me push my own personal comfort zone is, uh, being, you know, open enough and vulnerable enough to, to connect with people and to allow them to, to give such kindnesses to us and host us and, and things like that that might have previously made me feel like a burden. Um, and then just going out to new places and not worrying too much, just having the, the confidence within to be like, well, we'll just figure out, you know, I've never been to that state or that area or whatever, but, you know, it's something that I can figure out along the way and I won't worry too much about exactly how that will work out. Because you're alone, do you worry about breakdowns or problems? Is that sort of way heavy on you? Um, I wouldn't say it weighs heavy. It's something I'm definitely aware of. And I, I do my best to, uh, to just keep learning and keep trying to properly take care of the bike and figuring things out along the way. And, you know, my, my whole thing is learning and growing. And so I'm not going for a, a perfect run. I'm just going for continuing to do the best I can. Maya Angelou has a quote and she says, uh, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. So I just go with that. I'm always doing the best I can and then always looking for ways that I can do better. You're keeping a, a pretty good blog. You've got a, a beautiful website there with some great photographs and Thank everything. You. How do people find you? Um, Operation Moto Dog, that's M-O-T-O dog dot com is a, where we keep track of the travelogue and post photos and all that. And then we're also on uh, Facebook at Operation Moto Dog. And then if people do Instagram, I'm at Mallory Danger Page. And so we put a lot of photos there. Are you planning on uh, on doing a book, or, or have you been putting videos together? I I would love to do a book. You know, it wasn't what I thought of when I originally started. I was just wrote it and, you know, thought maybe my mom and dad would want to read what I was up to, but I never imagined other people would care. Um, but I love to write, and I think there's so much to be learned in a publishing process, so I really would hope to do a book. Mallory, thank you very much for coming on to Adventure Rider Radio and telling us your story and, you know, send us a postcard. Absolutely, we will. Thank you. You can follow Mallory right now, today. She's still on her adventure, and it sounds like, according to her, she's going to be there for another 18 months or so. So drop by her website, operationmotodog.com, or she's got a Facebook page, of course, at Facebook, and then it's forward slash operationmotodog. Now, I'm going to give you a little nugget here. Check our show notes. Go to our website. Check the show notes for this episode, because you can click on the link there, and you can get a free ebook about her adventure. You download this book for free. It's something that Mallory herself has put out. So drop by our website, www adventureriderradio.com and click on the show notes for this episode. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. I guess now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. I mean, if you're living in the Northern Hemisphere, you might be looking at a little bit of snow. But uh, you heard Grant Johnson just talking about uh, the new hum on this episode. That group that he mentioned, they're riding year-round. It kind of gives you something to think about, doesn't it? Some spikes or chains on your bike, and away you go. 
Special thanks to our wonderful co-producer, Elizabeth Martin, who works tirelessly in the background. And I'm not kidding you. While I'm recording this right now, she is working right across me. I can see her from here. The studio is not very big. As you can imagine, the studio is probably a lot smaller than you imagine. Special thanks to Elizabeth. She does a lot of work for this show. And if you like what we're doing and you appreciate it and you feel like giving us a, a, a little boost, a little, a little tip from you, drop by our website and click on the donation button. We'd love it. But otherwise, when you go by our advertisers, remember, we only choose advertisers that we believe in and we can get behind. So make sure that when you visit them, you tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now, it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. Oh, and before I go, we get a lot of comments about the show now from you guys, and we really appreciate it. It's fantastic to get the feedback, but we want more. So make sure you drop by the website, click on our comment button, follow us on Facebook. We're on Twitter and and Google Plus and all all that sort of stuff. But you know what's really important with something you could do for the show? Spread the word. Let your friends know. Post it on forums. Do whatever. Let everybody know about it so that we can gain more listeners for the show and have more people enjoying what you are, hopefully. I'm Jim Martin. See you next week. This is Elizabeth Martin, and I just want to say thanks a whole bunch for listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Ride safe.